Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. December 17th, 2005 was the day that my life changed forever. It was the day that I had finally convinced a beautiful, good woman to be my wife and to do life with me forever and always. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's exciting. You're like, there's hope for us all. Anyways. And I remember waking up that morning. I will forever remember that day. And I remember waking up that morning thinking to myself, I wonder if my future wife is really going to show up or did she wake up this morning and think to herself, I could do better than this. And so I was a little nervous and I was a little hesitant because I did not know if she was truly going to show up. But she woke up, texted me, and was like, I'm so excited to marry you. I was like, yeah, you are, girl. I love you. <laughs> and so I remember heading to the church with my closest friend, my best man, my groomsman, and we began to get ready. And I remember doing my hair and getting dressed. And some of y'all, don't, I, don't know, I don't know why that's funny, y'all. I used to have hair, and it was good. It looked good, too. But anyways, I remember getting ready and and talking to my friends and having this nervousness because I was like, man, today is the day where God's going to give me this amazing gift of this woman named Laura. And I remember us lining up and walking out behind the pastor and us standing in front of everyone, our closest friends and family And we are there just anticipating this awesome moment that pictures what Christ has done for his church, his bride. And I remember like thinking about all these things. And I just remember the tears began to well up in my eyes because I was almost overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And I remember standing there and we had planned that the song she was going to walk into was going to be a really emotional song, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal when you're planning it. But then you get on the day and you're like, why did I pick that song? And the tears began to well up, and I remember the bridesmaids were walking in. They're kind of like the appetizer before the bride, you know what I mean? And so they're walking in, and they're dressed that they will never wear again, and they're walking down and holding the flowers. And, y'all, I'm telling you, like, I, I was just thinking to myself, just don't blink, Nick. If you, if you don't blink, then you're not crying, and that's okay. And then my wife and her father had the nerve to do something. They walked in the room. And I remember them walking in and turning the corner, and I remember just becoming overwhelmed, and I began to cry like snot was, I mean, it was, it was not pretty, y'all. Like, it was not pretty. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this woman is walking towards me, and she is going to say yes to forever. And the closer she got, I could see that she was tearing up as well, but she was a pretty crier. I was not. And she continued to walk down the aisle, and then the next moment will forever be cemented in my brain. I walked towards her and her father, her father who had raised her and loved her and invested in her for 22 years, said in front of our friends and family that he was going to give this gift of a woman to me. And he took her hand, and he placed it in my hand, And we walked up and we promised before God and everybody that we were going to love each other to the best of our ability, always fixing our eyes on Jesus, always remembering to operate with grace and mercy, always remembering that our hope is found in him. And we made that confession before church, the pastor, and everyone. 
and it was beautiful. And I remember turning around, and the pastor said, for the first time, I would like to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Person. And it sounded like honey to my ears when he said that. And because we got married December 17th, which is close to Christmas time, my wife and I walked out to the song, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Oh, yeah. This is a great play, y'all. Great play. And I mean, we're kind of like walking out, be like, all I want for Christmas. I'm like, you, girl, you, right? And then I remember walking out, but I don't remember much that happened. I just remember it kind of was a blur. Later on, my wife and I were talking. That was a very expensive blur. But I remember there were people that talked to us. I don't remember if I ate or not. And then I remember getting ready in order to go on our honeymoon. And we went and changed and we walked out. And people had decorated our cars so that everyone in traffic would know that we just got married. That's awesome. And we drove to the happiest place on earth. We spent our honeymoon in Disney World, y'all. And we were that couple, you know, the annoying couple at Disney World that wear the top hat with the ears and the veil with the ears. That was us, but we were cute, right? And I remember thinking to myself, man, if this is what marriage is like, if marriage is always this happy, if, if marriage is always this wonderful, I am so excited about marriage. But here's what is true. For some reason, I thought that my marriage would be exempt from the brokenness of the world. I thought that maybe, just maybe, even though we are living in a broken world, that for some way, somehow, that maybe, just maybe, this marriage that we just walked into, this covenant relationship, maybe it will be free from harm and sin and brokenness. But that was not the case. We got back from our honeymoon, and two months later, my mom passed away, and we inherited a 13-year-old that we got to raise, my little brother. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought marriage would be like. This is, this is not what I expected, because we all walk into relationships and into marriage with really unhealthy and unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. Always. And I think for us, we thought that maybe, just maybe, we could come into marriage without having any scars, bumps, and bruises along the way. But that is not the case. Paul David Tripp sums it up very well. He says this, I am persuaded that it is more regular than irregular for couples to get married with unrealistic expectations. He goes on to say this. Lofty expectations are premeditated resentments. So what we're going to do is we're going to navigate how do we keep walking well in the midst of disappointments, in the midst of things not going our way? How do we continue to walk and navigate? Because sometimes marriage is not what we thought. Sometimes relationships are not what we thought. And so over the next few moments as we navigate this conversation, I pray that our hearts will be open to what the Lord has for each and every one of us. So I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer for us in the next few moments is that we will allow our hearts to be open to receive whatever it is that you have for us to receive today. Lord, my prayer is that maybe, just maybe, that 
Some of the dark places in our lives, maybe some of the dark places in our relationships will be brought to light so healing and freedom can happen. Lord, may we be willing to open up our hands and receive what you have for us. May we not just be a people that are content to hear what you have to say, but do nothing in response to what you have said. And so, Father, over the next few moments as we go on this journey with you, may we trust you. Will you remind us where our hope is found? Will you remind us that you are good and you are faithful in the midst of life and the brokenness of this world? Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 6. It says this. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, here's what is true. In order for our faith to be more precious than gold so that it will result in glory and praise, we have to go through the trials. We don't like that part. Actually, let me speak for myself. I don't like that part. I much rather my faith be like gold that results in worship, praise, and glory without having to go through the trials. But in order for my faith to become that way, the trials are a necessary part. And hear me, the trial is a necessary part, but we spend the majority of our lives in trial avoidance, don't we? Like, Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, and I'll go wherever you want me to go as long as I don't have to go through something hard. But in order for us to allow our faith to be more precious than gold, and that will result in glory and praise, we have to go through the trials. Why? Because the world is broken and trials are a part of life. See, marriage is God's idea, but it takes place in a broken world. For all of us, we will experience the brokenness of sin. For all of us, we will experience that this world truly is broken. But yet, even though we might know that, we still find ourselves very surprised when we get some data that the world is actually still broken. There's going to be diagnoses that we did not expect. You're going to walk and think, man, God, I just want you to bless us with a child. But yet that is not the result that happens. And you can fill in the blank. You lost somebody that you didn't expect to lose. You lost the job that you thought you would have forever. And yet we find ourselves in the midst of the brokenness, and we are thinking to ourselves, God, this is not what I signed up for. Know this. Know that God is good, but the world is still broken. And we have to navigate those trials and those tribulations because it's a part of the brokenness of this world. And I think for me and my wife, we did have the thought that maybe, just maybe, we would be exempt from that. Or maybe we thought that the trials we would experience would just be from others doing, not because of ourselves. So some years ago, I was working in student ministry. God was doing some amazing things. We were in the midst of a D-Now weekend, which is basically like Unite weekend that we're going to have this upcoming weekend with our student ministry. Students are separated. They're 
all together with their friends. They're hearing a word from God. And here's the deal. God was doing work. It was amazing to see students responding to this thing called the gospel and them stepping from death to life. It truly was amazing. My wife was pouring into a group of young ladies. My younger brother was a part of a house and people were investing in him and everything was going well. And Saturday night, I just saw a movement of God. And I remember sitting in that room thinking to myself, God, you are so good that you would allow me to experience your goodness and to see what you are doing. At the end of that service, my wife went with her girls that she was investing in. My younger brother went with his friends and the leader to his house. And I started driving home. And here's what is true of me. Whenever I experience a mountaintop, a valley is typically a step away. Sometimes from my own doing and sometimes just because of the brokenness of this world. So I was walking down that mountaintop feeling so good, and I was driving home, and I heard a still, small voice, and it wasn't from the Holy Spirit. It was from the enemy that said, you know what, Nick? No one's going to be home. You will have an opportunity to partake in a sin that you used to partake in, a sin that so easily entangles, and nobody has to know. I remember getting to my house and thinking to myself, there is no way, after what I've seen God do, that I would step into watching pornography. There's no way I would do that. But then I found myself at the very place that I thought I would never go. And I was watching pornography. And I thought to myself, you know what? Laura has to know. We'll never have to know about this. I'll just allow this dark thing to stay in the darkness because I don't want to disappoint her. I don't want to give her evidence that she has married someone who is still in process. And I thought that I had gotten away with it, and I thought that dark things would stay in dark places until a couple of days later, it was a Thursday, and my wife called me. She goes, hey, babe. And I go, yes? She goes, you got to come home. And I go, why? And she goes, because I found some stuff that has been purchased on the TV that we've got to talk about. I think your little brother is watching inappropriate things. And can I just tell you in that moment? I wanted to throw my little brother under the bus. Like everything in me wanted to go, yeah, 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 it was him. You know, sometimes teenagers do that. You know, he's a guy, that's what guys do. Like I wanted to pull that card, but the Holy Spirit would not let me. Hear me, it wasn't because I wanted to be strong. It wasn't because I wanted to expose what was dark. I just couldn't lie to her again. And I said, hey, Laura, it's not him, it's me. I'm the one that watched it. And there was a deafening silence over the phone. It felt like hours, even though it was probably seconds. And she said, you probably need to come home. And I said, okay. Let me be real with you. I did not want to go home. I did not. But I went home. But I will tell you, I took the very long way home. And I remember trying to come up with, like, a defense. Like, I remember trying to think to myself, okay, what can I tell her that will make this seem okay and make it just seem like something that everybody does? Like, what can I say to her to make this go away? And I could not come up with a defense because I remembered standing in front of her and God and everybody and saying, I will love her best. And I will be selfless. And it won't be about me, but yet... It has been exposed that I made it about me. 
So I had nothing I could say to her. So I remember I pulled up in the driveway, I got out of my car, and I walked really slowly in. And I opened the door, and I could tell that my wife had been crying. It was written on her face, and she just looked broken. And what I hated to see was I was the cause of it. It wasn't someone else's fault. Wasn't what someone else did. It was me, the guy who promised to love and cherish her and do right by her, had done something that broke her spirit. And she said, babe, I need to go. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think she's going to come back. Why would she? Like, why would she come back to the man that didn't live up to what she thought he should live up to? Why would she come back? And I remember I sat down on the couch, and I didn't say a word. I didn't watch any TV. I just sat there in the midst of that dark place, and I just thought to myself, Nick, you have blown it yet again. You have allowed the enemy to tempt you with something that never, ever delivers. Sin always overpromises and always underdelivers, but yet again, you have given in to the seduction of it. It felt like Laura was gone for days. She was actually gone for hours. I remember she got home, and she said, hey, I just want you to know, don't hug me. I don't really want to talk to you, but I want you to know that I'm going to forgive you, but I just need a minute. And I remember thinking to myself, how did we get here? Because in that moment, my wife realized something that we all realize. Is that marriage is made up of two people still in process. Hear me though. Process means that you are walking towards the end goal, which means it's to be like Jesus. Process does not mean that we are keeping dark things in dark places. No, that is not being in process. That means we are staying where we are, refusing to walk in freedom. That is not process. So hear me, fellas, in the room. If you are dealing with that, if you are struggling with that, know that dark things kept in dark places entangle you and enslave you. But when we choose to bring dark things to light, that is where freedom is experienced. And I'm going to tell you something, this just be really real. It probably will get worse before it gets better. <laughs> Hear me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, if you tell your wife, everything will be wonderful all of a sudden. No. But know that you have been called to freedom. So maybe for some of us in this room today, it is time to tell a friend, hey, I want you to know, here's what I'm struggling with. I'm going to bring these dark things to light. Maybe for some of us, it's going to our community, which is meant to encourage and enrich your life. Maybe it's time to be honest with them. Maybe for some of us, we need to get help with an outside party. We have a care ministry here. Maybe you need to step into that. I don't know what path you need to take, but where you are currently is not where you're meant to be. We are called to be in process. And I'm telling you, sometimes that process is hard. It is not fun. It is inconvenient. But I tell you this, if we are willing to trust him, he will lead us to a better place eventually. Galatians 5 verse 17 says this. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirits are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Did you hear that? Our flesh is working against us to not be in the process that we have been invited to by Jesus to be more like himself. Our flesh is our stumbling block that keeps us from walking in a way that is best and walking in a way that reflects Jesus. Our flesh gets in the way. It sometimes causes us to do things we don't want to do. So what do you do? You got to call it out. I recognize that my flesh is this way, so I'm going to invite others to help me in this. And I'm telling you, it's a scary place to be to expose your sin. Because we all, in some form or fashion, have gotten really good at faking it, haven't we? Everything's okay. Everything is fine. Yeah, dear brother, everything's wonderful. Can I just tell you all, we are not fooling anybody. We know that this place called the church is a hospital and not a country club. So maybe it's time to take off our country club sweaters and be real and honest and let healing happen. If you don't take the medicine, if you're not willing to step into the process, guess what? You never get set free and you never get healed. Maybe it is time for us just to go, you know what? I'd rather be real and get healing and freedom than to be fake and to keep these things in dark places and to be enslaved by my sin. Maybe it is time to do it differently because we keep doing it the same old way. Guess what? We keep getting the same old thing. And that is not the invitation from the king. See, Christians are saints who still sin. We have not arrived. We are not fully like Jesus. We have not been fully sanctified yet. We don't live according to our calling and our identity yet. We are still in process. But the invitation is to allow dark things to be exposed to light and let the healing of the Lord happen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. We've been hanging out a lot here in this Battle of Sexes series. And it says this. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband too. Marriage is a tool used to teach us to love like Christ. Let me go ahead and say this. You don't love your spouse. You don't love people in the relationships you're in based on the person. You love people based on how Christ has loved you. 
And sometimes that's a very difficult thing to walk out. Why? Because our number one defense is, well, I'm not going to love them well because they're not loving me well. Your example is not your spouse or the people around you. Your example is Jesus. While yet we were still sinners, Christ surrendered his life for us. He didn't say, clean yourself up, then I'll love you. He said, in the midst of your brokenness, I'm going to choose to love you in spite of yourself. We get the same invitation to love people around us, but we get very busy at bringing up all the ways that they are flawed and sinners. Yes, we are flawed. Let's own it. But let us love people how we have been loved by Christ. Our example is not the human sitting next to you. Our example is the one who is reigning and ruling and sitting at the right hand of God. That's our example. And here's the difficult part about that. We don't get an out. Like, we get very good of, well, I'm not going to love them because of this, and I'm not going to love them because of this. You can't say that about Jesus. What are you going to say to the King of kings and Lord of lords who surrendered his life for you? Well, Jesus, yeah, you did give your life for me while I was a sinner, um, but I don't want to. Doesn't really translate, does it? Marriage is a tool used to help us get over being self-centered. It is not about us, everybody. I do not like this truth because I spend a lot of hours and days trying to make the world be about me. And for some reason, the world does not listen to me. I often try to make my wife and my kids understand that this world that we are creating is all about me. But here's the deal. If I'm trying to create that kind of world, that's a really small world. I've been invited to be a part of a better kingdom. And that kingdom says there is a king and he is not Nick. And marriage is a tool used to help us get over being self-centered, being self-centered. Tim Keller says this, spirit-generated selflessness is not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let me read that again. Spirit-generated selflessness is not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Philippians says this in chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does that mean? We don't do things in order to get something. We do things because we're, we're responding to the goodness of Jesus. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Marriage is an opportunity for us to display Christ. Not just love like Christ, but display Christ. Think about this. Think about if you did everything in response to trying to display Christ best. 
In your marriage, your number one goal was to display Jesus Christ. At work, your number one goal was not just to get ahead, but it was to display Christ. In your neighborhood and around your neighbors, the number one goal was to display Christ. Whenever I think about that question, my life would look differently if that was the end goal I had in mind. And it's a great invitation that the king gives us. We get to display Christ in a way not only that we love our spouses, but the way that we love those around us. I was sitting at a conference some years ago, and there was a couple who were there, and they were speaking at the conference. Their names are Jay and Catherine Wolf. This couple wrote the book Hope Heals. Catherine, early on in their marriage, she had a child, and immediately following that, giving birth to her son, she ended up having a stroke. And Jay and Catherine have been given this opportunity to display Jesus in the midst of a very hard time. Not only does Jay get to display Christ to his wife that he has to help take care of, but Catherine gets to display Christ in the way she loves Jay and receives the love that he offers her. I want you guys to take a look at this video about their story. to the floor in tears and, and cries of agony. And I think in that moment, I questioned, God, why would you allow this to be taken from her? I can't eat. I can't walk. I can't take care of my son. My face is messed up. I can't hear. I can't see. I can't do anything. And I'm thinking, God made a mistake. I should have died. In life, we all have terrible seasons of suffering. There's hardship no matter who you are, no matter where you are. And I don't know how you fully make sense of any of that, but I know this. Hope heals. Grit hurts the most, which is your soul. This is all my hope and peace. Marriage is a tool used to remind us where hope is found. See, sometimes we have bought into the lie that marriage is about our happiness. Now, granted, that's a byproduct of marriage, but it's not the end goal. The end goal of marriage is to make us more like Jesus. And yes, there are going to be happy times and wonderful times, but marriage is a tool that God also uses to remind us of where hope is found. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. It says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. This is Jesus talking. He says this. In the world, you will have tribulation. What I love about this first part of this verse is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you might have tribulation. 
It doesn't say you could have tribulation. What does it say? It says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Then I love this next part. But take heart. See, the question that comes, okay, how can I take heart? Like, if tribulation is coming, how can I take heart? And then Jesus reminds us of how we can take heart. Because I have overcome the world. He says, listen, there is going to be a moment where tribulation is going to come and you're going to think that death has won. We're going to get to a second day and you're thinking, I guess he wasn't who he said he was. But then the third day is coming and I just want you to know that you can take heart because I have overcome the grave. And because I'm going to overcome the grave, death no longer has a hold on you because I paid the debt in full and it is finished in full. That is what we put our hope in. We put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the only one that has overcome death and saw it through to the other side. Death did not win. Jesus did. Where death once held us now, grace holds us now. That is what we put our hope in. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. Now to him, talking about Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So now we sit here and we go, all right, we will have tribulations in this life. There are dark things that need to be brought to life so we can have freedom. So what do I do now? Nick, when life does not measure up to what I thought and it doesn't meet my expectations, and what do I do now? How does this word help me in the midst of where I am right now? I think it would be better to show you than to tell you at this moment. Check this out. It feels so choice So much that I need to say So much to get off my chest I wait in patience What you didn't see at the beginning of that video is the groom was rolled to that position in a wheelchair. They placed him in a regular chair, and you saw the guy to his left and the guy to his right strap a band around their legs in order so he could stand up. And then the guy went behind his back and stood him up. And then you saw his bride come and dance with him. I bet you 
that groom did not expect that he would need the help of his friends and family to stand up to dance with his bride. I guarantee you that the path that they were on looked a little different than what they drew up. But can I tell you the beautiful part about that? They danced anyways. So what's the answer? When tribulation comes, when our spouses don't measure up to what we thought, when life deals us a hard hand, what do we do? Simply put, you keep dancing. You might go, hey, Nick, that sounds really hard. And you make it sound so simple. But can I tell you, it's a simple answer, but it's hard to walk out. Do you know what I love? I love that he had a community of people beside him, behind him, next to him that helped him dance. And guys, sometimes we can't dance in our own strength. Sometimes we need those around us to put their arm in our arm to bind our legs together and we dance together. And can I tell you the other picture that I love is that the wife still danced with her beat up and broken groom and they danced. That's the invitation that we have gotten from our king to dance even when we don't feel like dancing. Because our hope has been placed in the only thing that can sustain our hope. Not a job, not a person, but the person of Jesus. And we fix our eyes on that. And we keep dancing. And we keep dancing because we know that he will not fail us. So we keep dancing. I don't know if you noticed the words of the song we sang during the offering. I'm just going to read those words to us because I'm going to remind us of our resolve. It says this, I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You will not fail me now. In the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. You are working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. This is our resolve. This is our marching orders. Because our hope is firm on the foundation of Jesus. We will keep walking and we will keep dancing. One of my favorite pastors says this. To the scripture writers, hope is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the character of God. Right where you are, I invite you to bow your heads. I don't know where you are. I don't know what trials of many kind have come your way. I don't know what tribulations you have walked through or are currently walked through or you will walk through. And maybe the invitation for you right now where you sit in your seat is this. is to place your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you've heard the invitation. Maybe you've heard about what he did on the cross. Maybe you heard about his resurrection, but you have not said yes to the payment that he paid in full with his life to redeem you and to pay the debt that you could not pay. Maybe in this moment, you need to just say, yes, Jesus, I accept what you've done for me. I accept that you paid a price I could not pay. And the best way I know how I say yes to your completed work on the cross. Maybe that's the invitation you need to accept today. Maybe you're sitting here and the invitation that you have been given is to allow those things that you've been trying so hard to keep in dark places. Maybe it is time for you to allow those dark things to be exposed to light. Is that fun? No, it's not. Is it convenient? No, it is not. Might it get worse before it gets better? Probably. But I'm telling you, you haven't been invited to taste and see that the Lord is good and to embrace freedom. Living in the shackles of a sin that you're trying to keep hidden is not freedom. That is not what you have been called to. Maybe for you, the invitation is to take your next step. Maybe that's going public with your faith. I don't know. Maybe it's getting involved in community. I don't know what your next step is, but this is what I do know. We all have been invited to take a next step. I encourage you to be brave and to take heart and to say yes to whatever it is the invitation is that you know you need to take. And so, Father, may we remember that the trial is refining us. May we remember that the test is maturing us. May we remember that the valley is preparing us. May we remember that the delay is disciplining us. And God, may we remember that you are working for us and through us and that you are good even when the evidence speaks otherwise. Father, may we just fix our gaze on the cross and be reminded that you are worthy of our hope because you overcame the grace, overcame the grave, and you have offered us grace in place of a grave. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, may we be bold and may we trust in a way that we never thought. And may we remember that this beautiful thing called marriage, ultimately the end goal is to make us more like Jesus and not just to make us happy. And may we be okay with that. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And Father, we pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.